time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Greetings, my friends. How are you? Welcome to the Financial Physician Podcast for the week ending Sunday, July 16th. 2023 and man isn't time flying could you believe it's already the middle of the summer uh it's just incredible how quick time is going by lately we've talked about it a lot on this program that that time seems to be flying faster than ever don't know what's going on but days go by so quickly weeks go by so quickly and months go by so quickly uh as it seems like time is speeding up thanks for taking time out of your day to uh, join us for today's podcast uh, we have a lot to talk about today. We're going to cover, uh, what are we going to cover today? Oh, uh, is inflation really coming down? We had some uh, inflation figures come out this week that were surprisingly weak, meaning inflation rate is going down, at least according to the government. What else do we have going? Oh, NATO moves a step closer to World War III. Uh, probably nothing else I'm going to talk about means anything if we're going down that path, so we'll we'll cover that. Uh, Secret Service closes the White House Coke investigations, finds no suspects. Hmm. <laughs> surprise, surprise there. Uh, why your car insurance premiums may be going up as much as 30%. Uh, just what we need, right? We have enough um, inflation going on. We need inflation in our car insurance. Uh, we're going to touch on uh, corrupt FBI Director Chris Ray in front of... Uh, uh, the House uh, committee, uh, GOP House members really grilled him. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that and much more here on The Financial Physician. First off, I want to apologize for last week's program. I had all kinds of technology problems uh, last week. It was a nightmare. Uh, and the quality of the broadcast on Sunday wasn't that great. Uh, at some point there, I didn't even think I was going to be able to upload a show for you. So at least I got it out. Uh, I've worked out the kinks. I bought some new equipment, including a new computer, and uh, hopefully we'll have much better quality uh, going forward. Uh, we also had our first midweek podcast uh, this past Wednesday, and so far about half the people who listen to the Sunday podcast uh, have gone and listened to the midweek podcast. So uh, maybe you just don't know what's there. Uh, so I suggest that when you go to Podomatic uh, to listen to the show that you follow the program. By becoming a follower, uh, whenever I upload a podcast, uh, you're going to get an email immediately. It comes out seconds after I, I upload it. So if you want to know uh, when we upload our midweek podcast, uh, uh, you want to become a follower. I have the Sunday podcast up by 9 o'clock Sunday morning, and, and most of you are used to that. So you go right there. Uh, but uh, we had a pretty, pretty good, pretty extensive midweek podcast. If you want to go check it out, Either go to Podomatic.com or just go to TheFinancialPhysician.com and it will uh, link you there. Uh, on our midwe uh, midweek show, uh, I did a, a segment uh, with legendary uh, radio talk show host uh, Paul Harvey, who's no longer with us. Uh, he was uh, 
huge in radio in the in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and even t into the 90s. Uh, a big idol of mine, and he did a segment called "From Freedom to Chains." Very prophetic about what's going on now. Uh, so go check that out. I'm going to have more Paul Harvey uh, later in this program, so stay tuned uh, for that. So let's start today's program talking about something that's kind of a touchy subject, and that's called guardianship or conservatorship. What is that? It's when you uh, somebody is appointed by a court to take care of somebody else's uh, decisions. It could be health. It could be financial. It could be both. Both. And usually this is used for minor children. Like, say, you could put it in your will that if I was to die, my husband and I were to die, uh, that I name my brother as the guardian of my children. And, you know, when I, if, the, if it, indeed that happens, uh, my brother now will be responsible for my children. Right? Now, I would have a discussion with your brother before you name him that, uh, but it's really important to do that, and that's one of the reasons why I suggest that young people get a will. You know, a lot of people, they're young, married, you know, have their first child, and they say, well, we don't have any assets, so we don't really need a will. Well, you do need a will because you have a very precious asset, and that's your children. And you don't want the court naming who's going to take care of your children. So when you talk guardianship, most people think children. But what about adults? There's times when guardianship or conservatorship is named for an adult. Uh, one of the more uh, uh, famous ones is Britney Spears. You heard her dad was named conservatorship of her money, uh, and he was in charge of it because she was out of control. Uh, and this is named by the court. You know, a family member can go into a court and say, "Look, my father, my mother, my child is is out of control. They they they, they don't have the capacity to manage their money or manage their health care or whatever." And I want to be named guardian. And then you go to the court, you lay out your case. Uh, they could defend themselves and say, wait a second, I don't want a, someone named guardian for me. I don't want somebody taking over my finances, right? And then the court will make the decision whether or not to do that. So uh, the guardian's primary responsibility is, is to make decisions that are in the best interest of another person or another person's assets. And what can a guardian do? A guardian could consent to medical treatment. A guardian can release confidential information. A guardian could determine where that person's going to live. Uh, so the guardian has a lot of power over somebody. And here's an example, and the reason why I'm covering it today is because one of my clients came in this week, uh, and she's in her, I want to say 60s, late 60s, maybe 70. And she said, Lou, you know, I have a big problem. Um, you know, I, I live with my father, and uh, he's going downhill quick. He's in his 90s, and, you know, he needs health care. He needs uh, to be taken care of. And I can only do so much, and it's too much for me. And I want to bring in somebody, you know, even a few hours a day to, to wash him up and, you know, clean the house and do things. And he's against it because he doesn't want to spend the money. Now, this person has a lot of money. They're fine financially. It's not like, you know, it's going to be tough on them to pay for it. And that money is going to be what the daughter's going to inherit anyway, so it's kind of her money. But he doesn't want to spend it. She says, that's not fair for me. I can't take care of you. And, and now it's getting to the point where 
she has to start doing things for him that's not not what a daughter should be doing for a father, if you know what I mean. You know, uh, uh, and she doesn't want to do it, but he's so reticent to, to want to spend any money to get a caregiver to come in. And I said to her, "Well, maybe you have to consider uh, being named guardian or conservator, uh, conservator uh, to him, and then you make the decision if you're going to bring in somebody." Now, of course. That's going to cause all kinds of problems and arguments and fights between her and her father. So, you know, it's a very uncomfortable situation. But what is she going to do? I mean, she was crying in my office that it's just too much for her. And uh, and I, I told her, look, you got to go into him and tell him, look, you have a choice here. Either you're going to voluntarily start paying for a healthcare worker to come in, or I'm going to go to court, name you guardian, and I'm going to take care of everything. Or if, uh, if you don't want to pay for somebody to come in, I'm not taking care of you. I can't do it. You're going to have to go to a home, a nursing home. So you choose. And this is not an unusual thing that's going on with just her and her father. I see it all the time. Many of my clients, uh, you know, my firm is, I started my firm 35 years ago. Many of my clients have been with me for decades. Uh, and now they're at the end of their life. And all these decisions have to be made on health care. And uh, it's a tough thing for a family. And the last thing you want to really do is to put your parent into a nursing home if you could avoid it. Uh, but sometimes there's no choice. You know, you just can't take care of them. Um, so it's you can't just get a guardian named because a person does stupid things with their money. They're irresponsible and make foolish decisions. That won't work. You have to show that the person uh, lacks the capacity to make sound decisions. A person can't be declared incompetent simply because they spend money in ways that may seem odd to other people. It's their money. They can do what they want with it. Even if you have a developmental disability or mental illness, that by itself is not enough to declare somebody incompetent. It's based on their capacity to make decisions. So it's not an easy process to do. You have to get an attorney. They have to get an attorney if they're against it. Uh, and let's face it, most people don't want to give up their autonomy, their ability to spend their own money, uh, their ability to decide where to live. Uh, now, they could voluntarily say, you know what, that makes sense. You know, I can't do this anymore. Uh, you could be my guardian. And it's a simpler process then. But if the parent doesn't want to lose control and they fight it, you got to go to court. And that could be a costly thing. But the judge would determine if um, the proposed ward, that's what the person's called, the ward. You're the guardian. The person you're guarding, uh, guarding, guarding is the guarding, I should say, is, is called the ward. All right, so uh, so the court will determine, you know, if the, if the proposed ward is incapacitated, and if so, to what extent the individual requires assistance. The court may decide that the person only needs assistance financially, and they can make decisions on where they live and their health care and things like that. Or the court could decide that the person needs uh, total assistance uh, and a full guardianship uh, will be named. Now. The guardian has broad authority to manage the ward's affairs. 
you make all the decisions. And now, of course, you could discuss with your parent that you're the guardian of, you know, hey, dad, you know, this is what I'm thinking of doing, you know. Uh, and he may say, no, I don't like that. And you may take that into consideration or you may just say, look, this is in the best interest of you. Uh, and this is what we're going to do. And he'll have no choice uh, but to do it. Now, guardians obviously have a lot of power um, and they're expected to act in the best interest of the ward. Uh, and, and, and the rules of guardianship differ from state to state. So you have to look at your state's rules. Every state is different uh, on how it works. But most states require that um, the guardian um, inventory uh, the ward's property. Uh, the guardian can invest uh, the ward's funds so they could be used for the, the ward's support. Um, and the, the guardian has to file regular detailed reports to the court showing what they're doing with uh, the ward's property, uh, showing where that money's going, how it's being spent, and make sure it's not being abused by the guardian. Uh, the guardian has to make sure that uh, the ward uh, has proper uh, residency, they're living in a place that's safe, uh, and that being they're being taken care of properly. That may mean bringing in a healthcare worker uh, to come in for a few hours a day, or even to be there twenty four seven. And ultimately, the ward can make the decision uh, to uh, uh, have the ward uh, put into a long term care facility for the rest of their life. So, uh, guardianship is is kind of a very touchy financial subject. And uh, it's something that uh, uh, is not done easily. Uh, it's a decision that, that's a tough decision to make for a family, uh, especially if uh, the proposed ward does not want it. I mean, you could permanently, for the rest of their life, just ruin your relationship with your parent. Uh, but I felt bad for my client. You know, She's crying in my conference room because she's being forced to do this She's doesn't have the capacity to pick him up and, 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 and wash him and make sure he, he, he takes care of himself. Uh, and it's stressful for her. You know, she can't even leave the house to go shopping or anything. And uh, the answer to this problem would be to have a living come, not, not even a living at this point, just two or three, four hours a day so she could leave the house the caregiver could, could shower him, wash him, and, you know, make sure the house is clean and, and everything else, change the sheets, uh, and give that person a reprieve. And uh, he's just so stubborn about it, and I think that there is no choice right now uh, for her to go to court uh, and try to be named guardian. And I think she'd succeed. I really do. So uh, it's just another part of uh, end-of-life planning. It could be part of estate planning. Um, uh, but uh, it's a subject now with more and more people entering that phase of life uh, as the baby boomers now are, are becoming uh, elderly. Uh, we're starting to see more and more of these issues come up with long-term care, uh, financial issues, um, uh, and uh, many people now are going to court and trying to be named guardian or conservator of their parents' uh, situation. And what are some alternatives or, or, or maybe things you could do earlier in the process before it gets too bad? Uh, power of attorney is one thing. You know, a power of attorney allows you to make financial transactions uh, uh, for the benefit of the parent. 
but they're still giving up control of their money. Uh, they could still do th- what they want with their own money, uh, but you could do things uh, in their stead. You know, if they can't pay their bills uh, or handle their investments, you-, you could do that for them. So that's an alternative, but it doesn't give you the power uh, uh, that a guardianship uh, would give or a conservatorship where you're in total control of what happens in that person's life, not only financially, but from a healthcare perspective uh, as well. This past week, uh, the consumer price index was announced, as was the producer price index. And according to the, the government, who releases these numbers, uh, we had a better than expected um, consumer price index, only up 3% year over year. And the producer price index is, is barely positive year over year, only up one-tenth of 1%. If you believe that, uh, I don't believe it for a second, uh, because the things that we buy every day are not going down. Now, first of all, you have to understand, uh, you know, the mainstream media is telling you that inflation is going down. Now, for most people, if you hear that, you would think that means prices are going down. That's not the case at all. What's happening, prices are still rising, but they're not rising at the same rate they were rising in the past. At this time last year, in 2022, um, the Consumer Price Index was 9.7%. Uh, so rising 3% year over year sounds like an incredible improvement. But prices are still going up. And they want you to believe, again, you know, next year is an election year, they want you to believe that, that inflation is going down. Uh, so that's absolutely not the case. And John Williams, who runs the the economic website Shadow Stats. He's an old economist, and he figures out government economic numbers the way they used to be tabulated in the 1980s. He says that inflation, calculated the way it was back in 1980 when we had our last big inflation, is still double double digits. So that 3% quote is a, a bit misleading, quite a bit misleading. And if you believe inflation's under control, uh, you're pretty delusional because that's not the case. Because uh, if you look at everyday items that people buy, uh, they're still going up. Uh, the number one uh, driver of inflation right now is housing. Uh, renting an apartment or, or buying a house, the affordability index is just through the roof, no pun intended, or pun intended. Uh, and and uh, for most Americans, it's becoming more, more and more difficult to live anywhere. And... That's why we're seeing the, the increase in homelessness, homelessness. Uh, people living in, in RVs on the side of the highway. And then now you have um, average Americans uh, skimping on everyday items like hygiene, toothpaste, toilet paper. That's a pretty troubling sign uh, when consumers are, are, are cutting back on basic hygiene items. Now, it's not like they're not brushing their teeth anymore. They're just using generic or lower-priced uh, options. Uh, but uh, I don't know how you uh, cut back on toilet paper. Uh, like I said on, on our midweek podcast, uh, uh, mom and dad will give you, like, you know, nine plies, and you got to make it work. And, uh, and I, I don't know if it's fair or not. Women use more toilet paper than men do. I, you know, I have a problem with that. That's not fair. Uh, but it is what it is. Uh, and recent surveys have showed that uh, 60% of Americans um, are living paycheck to paycheck. 
And the reality is that many of us have to cut back, and we're looking for anywhere we can do that. So uh, inflation, it's been a problem for some time now. Between 2000 and 2020, the government said inflation was right around 2%, uh, which is the Goldilocks place where they want to be, 2%. You want to have a little bit of inflation, that shows the economy is growing. You obviously don't want to have big inflation, but you don't want to have deflation either. Because deflation means people are losing money in their stock portfolios. They're losing money in the in their property values. Uh, businesses go bankrupt in deflation. So deflation is not good either. Uh, but we still are living in an inflationary environment. Now, since the, the debt ceiling uh, fiasco was settled, meaning we don't have a debt ceiling right now, we've added almost a trillion dollars to the national debt. And that's just in five weeks. Uh, so the Biden-McCarthy Fiscal Responsibility Act of 2023 is kind of like the Inflation Reduction Act. It's so Orwellian in its meaning and what it's actually doing. So we added almost a trillion dollars in debt in five weeks. It took, from the founding of our nation to 1980 to get to our first trillion dollars in debt. And we've added a trillion dollars in just five weeks. And when you pump that kind of money into the economy in such a short period of time, it's highly inflationary. So there's a good chance we're going to start seeing these CPI numbers going up uh, as the year progresses here. And the only way we're going to get inflation under control is if we get the budget under control. And we stop borrowing and printing money. And I, I don't expect that to happen. Um, now, the Federal Reserve meets, I think it's the 26th of July. Uh, and some were saying, well, with these low inflation numbers that came out, maybe they won't raise interest rates. I think they're going to. I think it's already baked in the cake. Uh, Wall Street expects a quarter of 1% increase uh, in the meeting in July. Uh, does it make sense to continue to raise interest rates uh, given um, the pain that Americans are feeling and trying to buy a home? Mortgage rates went over 7% last week. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I think the Fed should really wait it out here and see what happens as the year goes on uh, because these high interest rates are really starting to affect the economy. It's affecting consumers. Uh, we have credit card rates at the highest ever just as Americans are maxing out their credit cards uh, to make up for the cost of living. And it's also affecting uh, the federal deficit and the federal debt. Uh, there was a pretty shocking number that came out this week uh, about the latest monthly U.S. budget deficit report. Uh, U.S. government outlays unexpectedly soared 15% to $646 billion in June, up almost $100 billion from a year ago. Tax receipts slumped 9.2% from $461 billion to $418 billion, and the government um, saw a drop of 7.3% in income. So we're spending more money, uh, and we are um, taking in less, which obviously increases the debt. The deficit, because what do we do when we have a deficit? We go out and borrow it, right? And typically, the Federal Reserve will print money to buy it. And that's a big problem. Also, the interest on our debt is going up 
tremendously. For 20 years, I mean, I, we had very low interest rates. Well, uh, more like 14 years. We had zero interest rates. And the average interest on the U.S. debt was under 2%. Now, as that debt matures, we have to go issue new debt because we never pay it off. Uh, and now we're looking at one-year treasury bills over 5%. 10-year uh, uh, treasury bonds yielding about 4%. 10-year Treasury bond at its low is like a half of 1%, maybe even lower than that. So we're starting to see interest costs starting to skyrocket on the U.S. debt. And it may be over $1 trillion this year. Now, $1 trillion is more than a defense budget. And a lot of the debt hasn't matured yet and being reinvested at higher rates. Uh, so that number is going to continue to increase. As the deficit continues to expand, we're going to continue to borrow more money at these higher interest rates, and you can see that this is unsustainable. If you look at a chart of U.S. debt, it's just going parabolic, and it's going to continue to go parabolic. And what happens when we have $2 trillion in interest payments or $3 trillion in interest payments? I think we only take in $4 trillion in taxes. Where's this money going to come from? Well, that's how countries go into hyperinflation. They print money. They buy their own debt. Uh, they uh, finance their deficit through monetary uh, monetization of the debt, meaning that the central bank prints money, buys the debt, and that's the end game. And we're heading, ra we're headed rapidly towards the end game. Now, I can't tell you if that is um, five years from now, 10 years from now, or three months from now. That's the unknown. Nobody knows when confidence is lost. Now, this week, uh, because of supposedly the low CPI and the low PPI, uh, interest rates dropped in the, in the bond market. Not a tremendous amount, but they did. Uh, and the U.S. dollar versus other, country, uh, other currencies dropped in value. Why is that? Well, the markets are expecting that the Federal Reserve is almost done raising interest rates and they'll start lowering them soon, which is very negative for the dollar. Uh, and uh, we saw the dollar index break 100 for the first time in, I think, 15 months. Uh, 99.8, I think, is the index. Uh, we saw precious metals go up uh, as uh, they react to the prospect of, of lower interest rates. Uh, and uh, that may be good. I mean, that we have lower interest rates in the bond market, uh, but something dynamic is happening right now in the economy. Uh, are we entering a recession? We'll see. Uh, will the Fed lower interest rates? Well, they say they're not going to do it anytime soon, but the market's thinking otherwise. And the only way I see them lowering interest rates this year is if we go into a deep recession or there's some kind of financial event stock market crash or fail, failing banks, what have you. So we're going to keep an eye on inflation. Uh, it's trending in the right direction, according to the government. It's still going up. Price of everything still going up, but going up slower uh, than it was uh, just a year ago. So on the inflation front, consumers have a, a reason to celebrate, I guess, that it's only going up 3% instead of 9%. Uh, I guess that's a good thing. Um, 
But one of the components that made inflation look better than it, than, than it may have been is used cars saw a significant drop in June. If you recall, I mean, we had major inflation in used cars back in 2020-2021 to the point of where some used cars were more expensive than new cars of the same model. It was crazy. Um, But we saw a significant drop in uh, used car prices in June. Probably That's probably due to all the repossessions that's going on because many people just took loans on cars that they just couldn't afford. Uh, Roughly 17% of all loans being written now, uh, the payment's over $1,000. Could you imagine that, paying over $1,000 a month for a car? And I'm not talking about a Mercedes or you know a Bentley or something like that. We're talking about just a normal, everyday used car uh, that costs between forty-five and $55,000. Uh, and, and, and that's quite amazing. Uh, and a lot of people now can't afford these loans. I and mean, these loans are like 82 months long, too. I mean, just to be able to get the payment to a reasonable level, if you want to call $1,000 a month reasonable, uh, people are just extending those loans, you know, seven years, eight years. And the problem with that, as soon as you drive off the lot, you're underwater, meaning that you're going to owe more on that car than that car is worth. And that puts you in a perpetual debt problem. Um, But we're also seeing the cost of driving a car uh, go higher, whether it's um, gasoline or uh, car insurance. And uh, we're seeing a major problem now in the car insurance market. The Wall Street Journal uh, found that Allstate has jacked up car insurance premiums by 40%. 40% in Georgia. Nationwide mutual insurance has increased insurance rates by 32% in California. And State Farm has bumped rates in New York by 11%. Now, the reason is that many of these insurers uh, have experienced significant losses over the last several years. And it's pretty much predicted that uh, premiums are going to continue to rise for the next couple of years. Uh, according to S&P Global, car insurance uh, insurers lost an average of $0.12 cents for every dollar of premium written. The main drivers were soaring repair bills, larger medical bills, and higher litigation costs. Um, America's largest insurer, which is State Farm, lost $0.28 for every premium dollar that was written last year. And it posted a $13 billion underwriting loss for its auto arm. It's a quote, it's probably the worst period for auto insurers it's been in 30 years at least, said Neil Aldridge, chief executive of the industry body National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies. So keep an eye on your um, car insurance. Uh, And maybe you should spend 15 minutes (laughs) with GEICO to figure out if you could lower your insurance premiums. And and it's not just insurance premiums um, on cars. It's obviously health insurance premiums, homeowners insurance premiums. Uh, I just got my bill, which is due for the year for my home, my home insurance. I just can't believe how much it's gone up. Now, granted, home prices have gone up, so I guess the replacement cost uh, of a home, if it burns down, is higher. And I guess you need to pay a higher premium um, to get that coverage. But insurance is a big cost to our budget. And uh, I have a chapter in my book, The Financial Physician, How to Cure Your Money Problems to Boost Your Financial Health on insurance 
and ways to get your insurance costs down. Uh, it's probably a good idea to read that chapter. And by the way, the book is available free. Uh, the PDF download of the book is available at thefinancialphysician.com. As soon as you go to thefinancialphysician.com, it pops up. So all you got to do is give us your email address. We'll send you the link and you can download the entire book. It's really nicely done, too. It's really, really good. It looks like a Kindle book. Uh, so uh, car insurance, uh, just like everything else in our lives, going up, but going up so dramatically uh, that it's going to really, really hurt. It's going to really bite, especially when um, uh, the cost of buying cars so high, the cost of, of, of car payments is so high. Add to that rising fuel cost and add to that uh, rising insurance cost. And obviously, it's just another cog in the wheel uh, of inflation uh, biting uh, the average family. Time for a quick break. We'll be back after these messages. Are you currently retired or planning to retire in the next five years? Hey, Lou Skatigna here, certified financial planner, personal finance author, president of AFM Investments. Why not join me for a comprehensive financial review at my downtown Tom's River office? Banks are paying virtually nothing, and the stock market has become a risky casino. But there are ways to achieve reasonable returns without taking on big risks. Let me show you how. During our meeting, I will determine your net worth, find ways to maximize your income, and minimize your taxes. I'll review your estate plan and discuss strategies to protect your estate from nursing home costs. Managing your finances is more complicated than ever, but you don't have to go it alone. So make your no-obligation appointment today by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin & Company, member FINRA and SIPC. Registered advisory services through Argentus Advisors. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable rates. Welcome back to the Financial Physician Podcast. We get together twice a week now. Sundays always, we'll have the main podcast up uh, by 9 a.m. Sunday morning. And in many cases, I'll have the podcast up 7 in the morning or maybe even late Saturday night. So uh, if you're a follower of Podomatic's uh, podcast for me, uh, you will be notified every time um, we upload the podcast. So you'll get a, a direct email immediately when it's uploaded. My midweek podcast, which uh, we just started uh, this past week, uh, my goal is to have it up Wednesday night. Uh, the latest will be Thursday morning. It's a shorter podcast. Last week, uh, it was 40 minutes compared to the hour and 40 minutes we did uh, last Sunday. But you want to join us for the midweek podcast as well. Uh, and uh, just go to thefinancialphysician.com. We'll have a link over to that or just go directly to uh, Podomatic uh, to my page and you'll see the update for the midweek podcast. So twice a week uh, we get together. Hopefully you'll join me for both the Sunday podcast and the midweek podcast as well. Love your emails. You want me to cover something on the program or you have a a personal finance question that we could share with our listeners here, uh, anonymous of course, Uh, you send me an email at lou at thefinancialphysician.com 
Lou at the com. Or if there's anything I could just help you with, yeah, you, you want an opinion on something, you want my advice on something, love to help our listeners. So just send me an email at Lou at the com. Now, early in the program, we were talking about inflation uh, and how uh, the markets and the, the financial press are so giddy that inflation is going down. And as I mentioned before, that doesn't mean prices are going down. It means the rate that prices are going up is lower than it was in the past. And it's still 3% on the consumer price index, if that's what you want to believe. Uh, I don't believe anything the government tells me now. Neither should you. Um, but it's probably, according to John Williams, economist, uh, double digits still. Uh, and the main driver of inflation right now, I said, was housing, but it's also food. I mean, on an annual basis, food inflation is still up 5.7% year over year. And, um, and the big driver here is 7.7% increase in food away from home, meaning going out to eat, uh, and 4.7% increase in prices for food at home, uh, food you buy in the grocery store. And again, I think this is way, way understated. Uh, and, and the only reason why we're seeing the disinflation, meaning a lower rate of inflation, is energy prices. I mean, uh, all energy prices tumbled 16.7% on an annual basis. Uh, gas prices are down 26.5% over the last 12 months. And fuel oil, thankfully for people who heat their house with it, uh, is down 36.6%. Um, so if it wasn't for a decline in fuel prices, uh, we'd still have inflation probably up at the 7% rate. So uh, you could say inflation is slowing down, but it's not slowing down at the grocery store. And, you know, certain items in the grocery store just continue to rise at unbelievable rates. Uh, and uh, I just can't believe going to the meat case. And like I said, I have a perversion. I have a perverted uh, joy that I get in just watching people at the meat case. Uh, they pick up a steak and then they just drop it right back down. Because they see how expensive it is. It's just just ridiculous. Uh, so inflation is still with us. And I also mentioned before that um, that uh, homelessness now is going up. Uh, and uh, last month, the White House revealed a new public relations campaign called Bidenomics uh, to define the president's um, economic agenda ahead of the 2024 presidential election cycle. So, you know, Biden, when asked about this, he probably didn't even know about it. He said, I, I don't know what the hell that is, but it's working. Biden stated it in his uh, June 17th rally in Phil, uh, Philadelphia, which begs the question, is it actually working? Well, uh, not if you ask a middle class family who are being crushed by inflation, um, who've used up all their savings and now are maxing out their credit cards just at a time when interest rates are hitting record highs. Um, the latest sign that Bidenomics has not been very rewarding to the middle class is uh, new data that came out from Bloomberg this week that showed that the number of families experiencing homelessness skyrocketed across uh, 20 major cities in the United States. And, uh, and these are almost all Democrat-run cities that are hellholes right now. Um, um, a shocking 72,700 people in families with children 
were homeless in 20 cities across the nation as of January, a massive 37.6% jump from a year ago. Uh, That's huge, 37.6%. And of course, these are major Democratic cities. The Democrats ruin everything, don't they? Why do people keep voting for them? That's the thing I don't understand. You see in these cities like Chicago and New York, they keep voting for Democratic administrations and Democratic mayors. They just dig the hole deeper. Now, New York by far has the most homeless families, uh, up 66.4% year over year. Great job you're doing there, Eric Adams. Great job. Uh... In 2022, there was 25,810 families homeless. In 2023, it's 42,955. That's by far, that's four times the second place city, which is Los Angeles. Los Angeles has 10,477 homeless families. And then uh, the third place is Boston with 3,400. Uh, so New York and Los Angeles account for 53,000 homeless families out of the 72,675. Now, this isn't complete because this includes uh, uh, homeless that are in shelters and homeless that are on the street. Uh, but San Francisco only gives homeless uh, in shelters, so it's not a complete thing. And uh, most analysts believe this is way underestimated. Um, but the explosion of family homelessness uh, is not uh, ind- indicative of Bidenomics serving the middle class. It's really just the opposite. All right, so the Secret Service announced on Thursday that it closed the investigation into how cocaine ended up at the White House without identifying a suspect. What a surprise. I knew this would be covered up. Because everything this administration does, they, they, it's always covered up. And But this is outrageous. They go on to say in their release, there, there was no surveillance video footage found that provided investigative leads or any other means for investigators to identify who may have deposited the found suspe- substance in the area. Without physical evidence, the investigation will not be able to single out a person of interest from the hundreds of individuals who passed through the vestibule where the cocaine was discovered. At this time, the Secret Service's investigation is closed due to a lack of physical evidence. Now, they didn't even conduct one interview with anybody. You think they would have maybe pulled Hunter Biden to the side and say, hey, is this yours? At least have him deny it? What a shock. No fingerprints, they said, were on the bag. Now, law enforcement say that porous objects, like, like plastic on a plastic bag, which have serious fingerprints on it. And they'd be able to figure out those fingerprints in 30 minutes. So obviously, they're covering it up like everything else that they do here. The, this administration is so corrupt. And we'll get to the FBI in a little bit. Uh, but it's just so corrupt. And everything is covered up. Uh, uh, you could commit multi-million dollar tax evasion and get a misdemeanor charge. No jail time. If you're a Biden, uh, it's quite remarkable. It's stunning. And to think that the Secret Service doesn't know who placed that there, 
uh, you'd have to be pretty ridiculous to believe that, and, and most people don't believe it. Of course, Republicans are coming out and saying this is a cover up. You know, Democrats don't care. They don't care what this administration does at all, regardless of the legality of it. They don't care. Uh, but this is pretty outrageous. I, I guarantee you, if this was a Trump family member, we would have known in 30 minutes. But again, it's just so corrupt. Now the Secret Service is corrupt. Uh, what are they being threatened with? That even the Secret Service would cover this up. It's just outrageous. Now there's a, um, a song uh, on the internet that's uh, making quite a splash right now. Uh, it's put out by Mailman Media. Uh, and this is the same production team that, that brought Justice for All, uh, featuring uh, Donald Trump and the J6 Choir. I think it hit number one uh, on Billboard charts and uh, and iTunes. Uh, they also put out Carrie Lake's hit single, uh, 81 Million Votes My Ass, uh, p- appeared on multiple Billboard charts and hit number one on two Billboard charts. The song also reached number one on iTunes and number three on Amazon Music. So this is a, a parody of Eric Clapton's hit, Cocaine. Here's a bit of it. funny. Uh, I guess it shouldn't be funny because it's downright tragic, I guess. Uh, but if you didn't hear the lyrics, they're a little foggy there. Uh, some of the lines in there. Took a trip to Ukraine. Now I'm high on this plane. Cocaine. I was in the West Wing. Lost my eight ball again. Cocaine. They kicked down my door, but they just let me go. Cocaine. Sure. Uh, Sure, of course they let him go. Of course they don't know who this suspect is. Unbelievable. Uh, I don't know what's worse. I mean, what if that was anthrax? Are you trying to tell me if that was anthrax, they'd have no idea who brought it in and put it there? Really? Uh, Kind of of hard to believe. Uh, Who was it? I think it was Dan Bongino. Dan Bongino said that, you know, he was a Secret Service officer guarding the president. Uh, and he said that the culprit has to be a member of the Biden family because everyone else has to go through a strict security checkpoint. It had to be one of the protectees. There's no other explanation, Bongino declared in video posted on Rumble. 
that would never have gotten through the checkpoint. Not a chance in hell. So they know who it is. And they, and you know what? Everybody knows it's a cover-up. You know what? They don't care. That's the crazy... Well, it's the sad thing about it. The scary thing about it. This administration doesn't care what anybody thinks. They know everybody knows this is a cover-up. They know that the FBI gave... Um, Hunter a sweetheart deal on millions of dollars of tax evasion and gun charges. They know people know about it. They don't care. And that's the scary part about it. You know, past administrations, they would say, how does this look? You know, I mean, we, we can't do that. But they don't care. It's right in your face. And that should scare all of us. And since when is an investigation closed after one week? Because we haven't been able to find evidence yet. Well, keep searching. Keep interviewing people. They haven't interviewed one person. Either they're purposely trying not to find out who it is, or they know who it is, probably, and they're just protecting them. Who would have a bag of cocaine in the White House? Who's your first guess? How about the crack addict? Son of the president, who's apparently living there now. Uh... And he doesn't have to go through the same security that everybody else has to go through. But again, it's obvious to you and me, and they don't care what we think. This week, uh, FBI Director Christopher Wray was on Capitol Hill to meet with the uh, House committee. Uh, And, uh, you know, he does what he usually does. He just evades the questions. He doesn't answer them. He either uh, says, he used one of these three techniques. He says, uh, lack of knowledge, he doesn't know, doesn't have the information, uh, or I can't answer because there's an ongoing investigation. That's that's the one they like the best. Uh, and then he promised to answer the questions later on when I get the information. So the Republicans are like doing their best to nail him. And, uh, and he's squirming, uh, but he's evading all the questions. Uh, but it's totally obvious that this FBI is so corrupt, just like every other aspect of the Biden administration. Uh, And he refused to ask questions. Now, most of the GOP representatives asked some tough questions, but not the tough ones that I would ask. They held back. Uh, Of course, the Democrats, they don't care about any of this. They figure a corrupt FBI, it benefits the, the Democrats, fine with them. They have no morals. They have no morals at all. I mean, we could talk about the gender transitioning thing and the uh, abortion issues and stuff. I mean, they become demons. I call them the demoncrats. Uh, and they are in so many ways. But they have no concern about a corrupt FBI. The most powerful law enforcement agency in the world, they don't care that it's totally corrupt, that there's a two-tiered justice system, as long as it benefits them. And that's, uh, that's an issue in and of itself. So he was uh, on Capitol Hill. They were asking him about the censoring of Americans. They were asking him about, you know, getting information on Americans, spying on us. They asked him some information on, uh, obviously, the Biden corruption. And the one representative that really was great uh, was Matt Getz. He didn't hold back. And I'm going to play... Um, some of his questioning of, of FBI Director Ray, 
Now listen to how evasive he is. And you can feel him squirming. If you watched it on TV, you would see it. Uh, but let's play some of uh, Matt Gates uh, uh, questioning FBI Director um, Christopher Wray on corruption in the FBI. The American people need to understand what just happened. My, colleague, my Democrat colleague just asked the director of the FBI whether or not they are buying information about our fellow Americans. And the answer is, well, we'll just have to get back to you on that. It sounds really complicated, but I have other questions. I'm sitting here with my father. I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge, that you will regret not following my direction. I am sitting here waiting for the call with my father. Sounds like a shakedown, doesn't it, director? I'm not gonna get into commenting on that. You, you, you seem deeply uncurious about it, don't you? Almost suspiciously uncurious. Are you protecting the Bidens? Absolutely not. The FBI well, does not the has well, no interest on. You won't answer the question about whether or not that's a shakedown and everybody knows why you won't answer it. Because to, to the millions of people who will see this, they know it is. And your inability to acknowledge that is deeply revealing about you. But let's go from the uncurious to the downright nosy. How many illegal FISA queries have occurred under your leadership of the FBI? Well, there are reports that have come out with different numbers about uh, compliance incidents. More than a million illegal ones? Because that's what the inspector general said. The inspector general said that in the 3.4 million of these queries, more than a million were in error. Do you have any basis to disagree with that, that assessment by the inspector general? I'm not, I'm not sure actually that's a, a correct characterization of the inspector general's uh, oh, well, findings on well, that. The internet will remind you but of I, that in moments. But, but let, let's now go to uh, what the, the court said. The court said it was over 200,000 that have occurred on your watch. Would, would, do you have any basis to disagree with that assessment? Again, I don't have the numbers I sit here right now. What I can't Seems like a number you should know. How many times the FBI is breaking the law under your watch? Especially if it's like over a million to not know that number. And I'm worried about your veracity on the subject as well. Play, this, play the video. So Matt Gates getting down with his bad self uh, and really hitting him with hard questions there. And as you can see, Christopher Ray evades the subject. I don't know the number. Because he doesn't know the exact number. Is it a million one hundred and twenty-three, or is it a million one hundred and twenty-seven? So I can't answer that because I don't know the number. Uh, you see how that works? Uh, uh, these guys are very adept. These politicians of evading questions and not perjuring themselves and not implicating themselves. So uh, let's go on. I'm going to play this whole thing because it, it, it's really good up to the end. Letters for investigation of the I don't believe FISA is remotely implicated in our investigation. You, you, so, so there, Senator Lee's asking you whether or not FISA was in any way involved in your January 6th investigation, and you say no. It, was that truthful? I said that I did not believe it was. Okay, so now let's pull up what the court said, which is something a little different than what you said. So, so here... No, that's not the right one. Yeah, here we go, right there. It says, the government has reported additional significant violations of the querying standard, including several relating to the January 6, 2021 breach of the Capitol. So I guess the question, Director Ray, is did, did you not know when you were answering these questions that the FBI was engaging in these illegal searches, or did you perjure yourself to Senator Lee? 
I certainly didn't perjure myself. At the time that I testified in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, I didn't have that piece of information. I will well, add- That was a court order. You didn't have that piece of information because the court hadn't yet rendered a judgment. Did you not know when you gave the untruthful answer before Senator Lee that this was going on? It was a, it was a truthful answer. I did not believe FISA had been involved in January 6th. But it was. So you didn't, the answer is the FBI has broken so bad that people can go and engage in queries that when you come before the Congress to answer questions, you're like blissfully ignorant. You're blissfully ignorant as to the unlawful queries. You're blissfully ignorant as to the Biden shakedown regime. And it just seems like it gets into a kind of a creepy place as well. Go to our, our next image on what the court said. Like, just so the American people realize, the, the court has smacked you down alleging or ruling FBI personnel apparently conducted queries for improper personal reasons. People were looking themselves up. They were looking their ex-lovers up. Who has been held accountable or fired as a consequence of the FBI using the FISA process as their like creepy personal snoop machine? There have been instances in which individuals uh, have had disciplinary action uh, and they're no longer with it. I, I can't get into it here, but we can follow back up. But with don't you it. see, don't you see that that's kind of the thing, Director A, that you preside over the FBI that has the lowest level of trust in the FBI's history. People trusted the FBI more when J. Edgar Hoover was running the place than when you are. And the reason is because you don't give straight answers. You give answers that, that later a court deems aren't true. And then at the end of the day, you won't criticize an obvious shakedown when it's directly in front of us. And it appears as though you're whitewashing the conduct of corrupt people. Respectfully, Congressman, in your home state of Florida, the number of people applying to come work for us and devote their lives working for us is over up over 100%. We're deeply proud of them, and they deserve better than you. Nice zinger at the end there, Matt. Uh, so, I mean... All aspects of government are corrupt. It's a sad state. We have now become Venezuela. We're on our way to becoming communist China. Uh, all mechanisms of law enforcement are being weaponized against political enemies. Look what's happening to Trump. The, uh, the, the party in power, the Biden administration, get away with murder, literally, I'm sure, uh, whether it's cocaine in the White House, whether it's tax evasion, whether it's millions of dollars of, of, of bribery, influence peddling, doesn't really matter. And the evidence is all there. That's the thing. It's not conjecture. The evidence is there. The evidence of tax evasion, the FBI has it. And the whistleblower said they just suppressed it or ignored it. This is really serious, and I got to tell you, it worries me. It, it, it scares me that the United States of America now has devolved into a third world country, at least from a political standpoint and from a law enforcement standpoint. Uh, very, very scary. And it seems that there's nothing we could do about it. I mean, the courts now are full of... Um, Obama appointed and uh, judges uh, that don't care about the Constitution, don't care about the law, and uh, and there's examples about it all through this administration. Mayorkas keeping the borders open and having an invasion of our country. I mean, it's one thing after another.
and uh, it's it's something that I think is not going to end. Hey, look, even when Trump was president, the FBI was weaponized against him. So it doesn't matter if it's a Republican administration or not. Although I, I got to admit, Trump made some really bad appointments. Uh, he appointed Christopher Wright. He appointed Bill Barr. And I don't think he got the best advice, um, probably purposefully. The deep state protect their own. And uh, he, he, Gates was great when he said, you know, there's less respect for the FBI now than when J. Edgar Hoover ran the place. And that, that's absolutely true. And it's a sad state of affairs for our country. Tucker Carlson has been uh, interviewing Republican uh, presidential candidates at the um, Family Leadership Summit in Iowa uh, on Friday. Uh, and he was tough. I mean, he, he went after each candidate and asked them really tough questions. And it's obvious from watching these candidates, now Trump wasn't there, they're all deep state rhino uh, uh, neocons, basically. And they all were really more concerned about talking about Ukraine than anything that's happening in United States cities, uh, what's happening to families with inflation. Uh, they don't seem to care about that. And they're more concerned, uh, I heard somebody say, that they're more concerned about the empire uh, than the country itself, meaning geopolitical issues. Uh, from um, from Nikki Haley to... Uh, um, uh, uh, Acer Hutchinson, who's running, uh, he was hitting hard. And you could tell these are establishment deep state rhinos. Uh, and they want war. And they're willing to take us to World War III, which we'll talk about in a second, how we're, we're stumbling there very, very quickly. So Tucker was um, uh, interviewing uh, Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, and rather than uh, respond to Carlson's criticisms about why tens of billions of taxpayer dollars are being spent on faraway Ukraine, um, which Carlson said, you know, most people can't even find on a map, ra rather than focusing on protecting and restoring American cities in decline, um, you could tell Pence was irate about the question, and he vaguely said we could do both, and he started squirming. But then he went on to say that American cities aren't his concern. Uh, and this may have just, he may have just committed political suicide. He didn't get the nomination anyway. Uh, but this, this was really, uh, you know, uh, a death blow to his, to his presidential candidacy. Listen. The Biden administration has been slow in providing military support. Make no mistake about this. We promised them 33 Abrams tanks in January. I heard again two weeks ago in Ukraine, they still don't have them. We've been telling them we'll train their F-16 pilots, but now they're saying maybe January we'll let somebody transfer some jets. I'm sorry, Mr. Vice President, have you, I know you're running for president. You are, distra you. You are distressed notice. that the Ukrainians don't have enough American tanks. Every city in the United States has become much worse over the past three years. Yeah. Drive around. There's not one city that's gotten better in the United States. And it's visible. Our economy has degraded. The suicide rate has jumped. Public filth and disorder and crime have exponentially increased. And yet, 
your concern is that the Ukrainians, a country most people can't find on a map, who've received tens of billions of U.S. tax dollars, don't have enough tanks. I think it's a fair question to ask, like, where's the concern for the United States in that? Well, it's not my concern. Tucker, I've heard that routine from you before, but that's not my concern. I'm running for president of the United States because I think this country's in a lot of trouble. So it's not his concern, uh, American cities. And that's the problem we have with politicians nowadays. They don't care about us. How can a person running for the president of the United States when we have crime up 50% in some cities, drug overdoses, hundreds of thousands of people dying because of open borders? And I mentioned earlier, 72,000 families homeless. And that's not his concern. His concern is Ukraine. And like Tucker says, uh, most Americans couldn't even find it on a map. And why are we, why are we headed towards World War III with Russia? I just don't get it. This week was a NATO summit uh, in uh, Lithuania. Uh, what an embarrassing uh, presence our president was. He was feeble, stumbling. He looked lost, forgot people's names. He looked like an escapee from a nursing home. And that's really where he should be. Um, but uh, they all talk tough about, you know, helping Ukraine. Uh, and, uh, but they're not going to let Ukraine into NATO until after the war is over. Well, thank you, because if you let NATO into Ukraine before the war is over, then NATO is at war with Russia. Not that we aren't now. But Article 5 would mandate that we defend Ukraine with everything we have. So thankfully, we didn't go down that road. And Zelensky wasn't very happy about that. He was hoping we'd do that. Um, so... Uh, but we're, we're, we're going down that path. And then as soon as Bonnie got home, he's calling up 3,000 reservists that are going to Europe. You don't call up 3,000 reservists if you don't plan on using them, usually. I find that to be quite alarming. And they've been telling us that Ukraine has been winning the war. They ain't winning the war. Since... Uh, the Ukrainian army has lost over 26,000 men and over 3,000 items of military hardware in its failed spring counteroffensive, said Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shugo, including 12 U.S. Bradley fighting vehicles and 17 German Leo II tanks. 26,000 men in just, what, a few weeks? We lost 50,000, 53,000 in Vietnam over 10 years. It's a meat grinder. These people uh, are being sent to die. And they're running out of people to fight the war. Is that why we're bringing up 3,000 Army reservists? Uh, there's no talk of peace. I didn't hear in this NATO summit one leader talking about going to the negotiating table and trying to negotiate a peace. They don't want peace. And all we're doing is we're, we're backing Russia into a corner. 
And make no mistake about it, Russia is winning the war in Ukraine. It's taken longer than they would have uh, liked. Uh, but the best thing Ukraine and the West can do right now is negotiate a peace. Let them keep their eastern Ukraine where everybody's Russian anyway. Have Ukraine say that they're not going to join NATO and let everybody live their lives again. Otherwise, we're going down the path to I don't know what. And it could very easily spiral out of control. And everything else I talked about on this show so far doesn't mean anything, if that's where we're going to go. Hopefully, uh, smarter heads will prevail some point along the line here. And by the way, we sent them 17, uh, the Germans sent 17 um, leopard tanks. They're all destroyed now or captured. What a waste of money. What a waste of money. And then you have neocons like Mike Pence out there saying, you know, we haven't given them enough. Give them over 100, I think it's 120 billion and counting right now. And meanwhile, we have 72,000 homeless families. We have an open border. We have crime out of control in major cities around the country. It's just amazing. I, I watch these YouTube videos and Twitter. Just a level of violence, wanton violence, depravity. Uh, it's just so evil. And I've said it on this program before. I mean, the gates of hell have been unleashed. We are in a battle of good versus evil. And right now, evil is winning. I don't think evil will prevail because I think God has ultimate power. But uh, we're, we're de descending very quickly into Sodom and Gomorrah. And we're probably going to have the same end that they did. And uh, it's pretty scary stuff. And it's happened so quickly. It's happened just in three years. How quickly we've devolved. And it started with um, the George Floyd riots in the summer of 2020, three years ago. And it's gone downhill really, really quickly. Uh, but this NATO summit, you know, proved that, you know, good old Joe Biden uh, should not be the person... Uh, with the most important job in the world right now. Obviously, he's being controlled by somebody. We can make guesses on that. Talk about Sodom and Gomorrah um, and how we're quickly devolving. L listen to this story. It, it, you can't believe this stuff. In California, a bill to make sex trafficking a felony, once again, in California, was blocked Tuesday in the Assembly Public Safety Committee by Democrats after passing unanimously in the Senate. Currently, human trafficking is defined as a quote-unquote non-serious crime, which means the act of human trafficking cannot be considered a strike under California's three-strikes law. Senate Bill 14 by Senator uh, Shannon Grove, Republican from Bakersfield, was voted down in the Assembly Public Safety Committee with six Democrats abstaining and two Republicans voting aye. That means Democrats wouldn't even commit to a no vote lest it look bad during re-election time. So they just made it not get through by just abstaining. And there's a big uproar on this now. I mean, you know, how could anybody, again, these Democrats... They're demon crats. 
How can a Democrat kill a bill that's going to combat child sex trafficking again as a serious felony? Uh, it's just unbelievable. Law enforcement, parents, educators, talk show hosts, we'll all live it on this. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, like, who would do that? Um, so we'll see what happens there. And then you saw the, the movie that came out um, uh, on, on child sex trafficking uh, recently. What's the name of it again? A Sounding Freedom? It so far grossed $50 million at the box office. It's beating like major Hollywood scripts. And uh, Jim Kazeevil, is that his name? I don't know how to say his name. He was the Jesus in um, The Passion of the Christ. Uh, he did this movie like three or four years ago, and they put it on the shelf. They Disney wouldn't show it, and now it's out there. But what's happening? The leftist media are attacking the movie. Rolling Stone put a hitch piece out on it. People in Hollywood are, 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 are talking out against it. Who could be against a movie that talks about freeing children from child sex trafficking? The only reason you would be against it is because you're part of it. And this is what I mean about Sodom and Gomorrah. It's, it's, it's just unbelievable. More craziness. This time in Italy, did you hear about this one? Italians grope themselves in protest of judges shock ruling that it's not assault if it's under 10 seconds. <laughs> uh, so a judge comes out and says that if somebody gropes you, grabs your breast and starts squeezing it, as long as they let go before 10 seconds is up, it's not a crime. Now, of course, this outraged a lot of Italians, uh, and there's a lot of videos now on TikTok and stuff where they're groping themselves with a timer behind them, showing them how long 10 seconds is on this. I, I, I think I'm going to move to Italy. <laughs> I think I am. So this is how long 10 seconds is. We're going to start right now. <laughs> you can get some pretty serious groping in in 10 seconds. Uh, now, is this going to embolden men in, in, in Italy to just walk up to women and just grab their breasts with a timer so they let go at nine seconds? And if you let go, can you touch it again and start the 10 seconds all over again? I don't know. Uh, do we live in such an insane world? It's just beyond belief. It really is. Uh, what other craziness do we have here? Um, I can't get to it all. That's why we have the midweek podcast, and that's why you want to join me for the midweek podcast, uh, where we uh, catch up on some of the stuff we couldn't get to before. All right, in the, the gender craziness that's going on, um, uh, we know that Anheuser-Busch and Budweiser Light made the big mistake of bringing on this uh, transgender guy, Mulvaney, whatever he is, uh, and immediately sales dropped 26%, and uh, uh, and people just aren't drinking Bud Light, and it's not going to come back. The whole brand has been ruined. I don't think I've ever seen a brand product destroyed, uh, self-destroyed by the company itself because of wokeness. 
How can you be so detached from who your customers are? Your customers are good old boys that drive, that drive pickup trucks in the South and go to NASCAR races and stuff. And you introduce this uh, transgender, queer as can be, uh, uh, what do you call it? Yeah, yeah, transgender. He dress, dresses in a dress. And he just makes fun of girls. It, it's just, the whole thing's a parody. But they put it on, and now nobody's buying Bud Light. It's just piling up everywhere. And uh, shoppers at Costco uh, noticed a mysterious asterisk in the upper right-hand corner of the price tags over Bud Light. And if you know anything about Costco, uh, there is a code based on the tags and the prices for things. If it ends in 98, it means something. If it ends in 99, it means something else. And if there's an asterisk, a little star in the right-hand corner, the upper right-hand corner, that means the product's going to be discontinued. So those Costco's that do carry beer, uh, mine doesn't, uh, but those that do obviously are not going to carry it anymore. It's not moving. That's the one thing about Costco. If something doesn't move, they're gone. That's how they maintain low prices. They move a lot of stuff very, very quickly at discount prices. Uh, and uh, as soon as um, it slows down, it's gone. So I hate it when I see a product I like in Costco that has the asterisk on it. And they call it the Death Star. So uh, it looks like Costco hit Bud Light with the Death Star and won't be carrying it anymore. So I don't know what they're going to do with Bud Light. Maybe they got to change the name. I don't know. Or change the formula and call it something else. Um, but self-destruction of the brand. Just amazing. It's also happened to Disney. I read an article and I saw pictures of it. Disney parks in the middle of the summer are almost empty. People aren't going. Now, it's a combination of the cost. They raise prices. I mean, it's extremely costly to go to Disney World. Uh, and maybe with the inflation everybody's dealing with and, you know, tough economic times, people, you know, can't afford to go. That's part of it. But a big part of it is the wokeness of Disney uh, and all that crap that's been going on in Florida. People aren't going. All their parks are like empty. Disney stock. If you were a Disney stockholder, you're down 50%. And there should be a class action suit from all shareholders against Disney and their executives. There should be a class holder suit against Anheuser-Busch and all its directors. And, uh, you know, I don't invest in a company because they're woke. I invest in a company because I want to make money. I'm not willing to lose 50% of my capital because my company wants a transgender spokesman for their beer. And people are finally fed up with this, and they're voting with their pocketbooks. They're just not buying products or going to theme parks and stuff for companies that they don't agree with. And that's great, in my opinion. Now, straight off her success as um, uh, borders are, uh, Kamala Harris, our vice president, uh, is now the czar in charge of artificial intelligence. Now, she was at a, a roundtable on artificial intelligence talking to experts on it this week, and then she tries to explain to us what artificial intelligence is. Now, keep in mind that this person is going to become your leader if this um, senile, 
80-year-old man trips over another sandbag and crushes his skull. This is who's going to be your leader. Now, maybe an improvement over Joe Biden, I don't know. But that's not saying much. So listen to what she had to say. Again, she talks to us like we're five years old. This is what she had to say. I think the first part of this issue that should be articulated is AI is kind of a fancy thing. It's, first of all, it's two letters. It means artificial intelligence. But ultimately what it is, is it's about machine learning. And so the machine is taught. And part of the issue here is what information is going into the machine that will then determine, and, and we can predict then, if we think about what machine, what information is going in, what then will be produced in terms of decisions and opinions um, that may be made through that process. Thanks, Kamala, for making such an astute explanation of artificial intelligence. It's only two letters. AI. She's a heartbeat away, my friends. A heartbeat away. All right, let's finish up with uh, climate change craziness. Uh, you won't believe this. I couldn't believe when I read this story. Uh, the headline of the story is, now they are actually working on a plan to block out the sun. The European Union will join an international effort to assess whether large-scale interventions such as deflecting the sun's rays or changing the Earth's weather patterns are viable options for fighting climate change. The bloc will announce a framework Wednesday for assessing the security implications of a rapidly warming planet, such as the potential for scarce water or food to trigger conflict and migration, according to a draft document seen by Bloomberg. Part of that assessment includes studying the potential dangers of re-engineering the atmosphere. Well, what can go wrong here? Some say they're doing that already with um, chemtrails, right? Uh, yeah, blocking out the sun, that's a good thing. Uh, we have famine, food shortages coming down the line, uh, and these uh, environmentalists, quote-unquote, globalists, uh, want to uh, block out the sun. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Uh, then we have... Um, uh, in Holland, the Dutch government is planning to purchase and then close down up to 3,000 farms in an effort to comply with a European Union environmental mandate to slash emissions. Farmers in the Netherlands will be offered well over the worth of their farm in an effort to take up the offer voluntarily. The country is attempting to reduce its nitrogen pollution and will make the purchases if not enough farmers accept buyouts. Uh, there is no better offer coming. Christiana van der Waal, nitrogen minister, there is a nitrogen minister in, in uh, Netherlands, told the Dutch Parliament on Friday. So again, let's shut down thousands of farms in the midst of the worst global food crisis in modern history. Uh, it's insane, but they're doing it anyway. I mean, these people are nuts. The world has gone insane in so many ways. Think about how stupid that is. And Canada is considering similar measures. They, they're considering doing the same thing. Uh, we need more food, not less food. And the USDA here in the United States is making uh, fighting climate change their number one priority. Unbelievable. It's uh, insanity. Uh, 
And let's finish up with the, the biggest hypocrite of them all. Failed presidential candidate John Kerry. Failed Secretary of State John Kerry. Uh, who's now the, um, the climate czar for the Biden administration. Again, nobody voted for him. And he's going around the world making all kinds of climate deals for the United States. And he's the biggest hypocrite of all. All these people are hypocrites. They all fly in their private jets to Davos, Switzerland, uh, to talk about climate change. Uh, John Kerry flies all over the world on a private jet. And he was recently on Capitol Hill, and uh, Republicans are grilling him on uh, the hypocrisy of him telling everybody else to cut their emissions, and then he, he flies around the world in his private jet. Uh, Mr. Secretary, you stand by that testimony Not that sure. you've never I, owned or I personally, your family? I your family. personally, yes, my wife owned a plane and sold the you plane. You flew on that plane? Uh, not in a number of years, and, but I have flown on it. And sure. this article is not then inaccurate, that your family owned a plane, you flew on a plane. The, my wife Secretary, owned, my wife owned here's a plane. The, here's the issue. Yeah. This isn't some kind of partisan gotcha. When we are asking Americans to make serious sacrifices as we transition for the common good, and your family and or yourself are flying around on private jets, that smacks of hypocrisy. It actually hurts your cause, Mr. Secretary, but I'll, I'll move on. I but, just but want to know sir, from a record sir, standpoint. Afford me the, the right at least to set the record straight here. I do not fly on a private jet. Uh, I, do, I do not fly, I fly commercially. Have on you all of on a private jet since you've taken this position? Just, just let me move this I have flown five times in the last two and a half years on Mill Air, which you also fly on, and or some of you who travel fly on, five times. Otherwise, all of my trips are commercial. Have airlines. you flown on a private jet in a personal or official capacity since you've taken this position? Possibly once. I, I don't, I think, I just don't, I'm, I'm trying to think. I, I think you need to take the broader point of how this appears to the American people no, as we're asking them to take that. We're not asking Americans, we're not asking Americans not to fly. You know, you're, you're trying to create an unequal thing. We're not no, saying we're don't you fly. you by example, Mr. Secretary. That's what we're at. You, which is why I fly commercially, by example. which is why I fly. In that okay, he flies uh, commercially. Oh, by the way, it's not his jet, it's his wife's jet. If you don't know who his wife is, she's the heiress to the Heinz fortune, as in Heinz Ketchup, <laughs> pretty wealthy lady. Uh, he's not stupid. Uh, he hit stuff with the right person. Anyway, so it's not his. And then he says he flies commercially. Well, commercially means a private jet not owned by him. It's owned by a commercial company uh, that rents it out. Uh, it's amazing how these people answer questions and, um, and jump all over the place. But what a hypocrite this guy is. They're all hypocrites, all these elites. They try to tell you what to do, and they exempt themselves for it. Uh, they're even worse. Uh, the amount of tons of carbon emissions that these private jets uh, for all these elite spew into the atmosphere. Uh, but they want to close down farms uh, so nitrogen levels will go down. Amazing. All right, let's end up with Paul Harvey. I played Paul Harvey. If you haven't heard it, go to the Midweek 
podcast that I did um, on Wednesday. And I, I aired a piece that he did in 1965 called From Freedom to Chains, how through socialism and everything else, how a country degrades to the point of where you have a totalitarian government and you have no freedom. And boy, was he prophetic in what he was talking about. Also in 1965, uh, Paul Harvey did a segment called um, If I Were the Devil. If I wanted to take down the United States of America, how would I do it? And keep in mind to yourself how many things he's talking about. Now, I imagine it started in the mid-1960s, the change uh, from what America used to be to what it is now. Uh, but he was pretty prophetic on how this whole thing would end up like it is today. So what are we talking? We're talking um, almost 60 years. So here we're going to end the show with, with uh, Paul Harvey, uh, an icon in radio from, I guess, 1940 to 1990 or something like that. He died in uh, 2006. And uh, on YouTube, I saw an interview that he did with Larry King about his life in radio, and it was really fascinating. I mean, being a radio talk show host for 25 years, um, uh, I look up to the icons in radio. Paul Harvey... Uh, definitely won, but before my time, and my hero in radio, Rush Limbaugh, uh, who uh, I learned a lot about radio broadcasting from him. So let's uh, end the show with uh, If I Were the Devil by Paul Harvey, 1965. If I were the devil, if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. And I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. The. So I'd set about however necessary to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing, I'd have judges promoting pornography, Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who want it 
until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what do you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey. Good day. Pretty prophetic, eh? And the classic Paul Harvey sign-off. Paul Harvey, good day. Great, great radio broadcaster. Well, that's the end of our program. Thanks for joining us so much. Remember, the midweek podcast will come up Wednesday. Go to Podomatic, follow the program, or you can go to thefinancialphysician.com and just go to the podcast page, and we'll have the link for you there. My email address is lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Something you want me to cover on the program, something I could help you with, or just a comment you have on a podcast. You know, I answer each and every email. I promise to do that. If you want to come into my office for a no-obligation financial review and consultation, now more than ever, it's important to do that. Call my office at 732-905-8100. at 732-905-8100. To next time, just remember, I'm not far right. I'm just right so far. Have a great week.